Welcome to the second episode of the WWM podcast in collaboration with Sport Marketeer. I'm Chris Nascimento. I got Haral with me today. AJ's not here today, but we'll, we'll do his job for him. Um, so on, on today's episode, we have three topics, as always, that we'll be covering that are featured in this week's issue of the Sport Marketeer. Sport Marketeer is a sports marketing newsletter. You can check them out. There's a link in the description where you can go subscribe to the newsletter. Um, yeah, with that, let, let me introduce these three topics first, and then we'll we'll chat about them. We'll, we'll go on their way from there. So I'll introduce all three, and then we'll chat about them. So topic number one is the forever changing definition of sport, the rise of esports. Topic number two is Indians to Guardians, impact of a name. And topic number three is big dreams and big dollars, the NBA draft, which is tonight, if I'm not mistaken, correct, Haral? Yes, sir. So, so that, there we go from there. Um, Haral, do you want to give us a little introduction of the first topic, the forever changing definition of sport and the rise of esports? Yeah, I mean, shout out to AJ for putting this one together, but um, there is a lot to talk about here with esports. I mean, I think the best place for us to start would be uh, talking about the activation in 2021, where Overactive Media decided to launch plans to build a 7,000 seat esports venue in downtown Toronto. So um, clearly there is an appetite and an investment being made to bring esports uh, live to fans where fans can actually go in person as things start to open up here and attend esports events live. So obviously there's a lot of place to go here, but I guess uh, I think the first question that I'd ask and we could probably talk about is what do you think about the viability of esports being a commercial product where fans will go attend in person to attend or, to, or fans will go attend in person to watch? Yeah, no, it, it's a, it's an interesting topic as a whole, right? Cause it's changing quickly and maybe not as quickly for those that are already in the sport, but maybe people coming out from an outside perspective. Um, I actually got a really good insight about this topic from um, the podcast host, The Routes, another asset of the WWM brand. And I think on episode two, I spoke to a chairman of, you know, various esports teams in Australia. And, you know, they, they compete in overall, uh, the Overwatch League and a bunch of other ones. I think there's five clubs they have. And he was mentioning how this esports club that they have, one of them, overtook this famous rugby training grounds in Australia, right? Obviously, rugby is one of the larger sports there, but he was kind of using that as an example to show the impact that it's having now, right? Where now this esports franchise is essentially, you know, taking over a, the word he was always using was traditional sport um, training ground, right? So that alone is kind of starting to show a, a twist of it. Um, on that note as well, the other thing that I have to touch about in regards to viability, I think you have to look at the upcoming future earners, right? So let's say the current, <clears throat> the future earners are currently, you know, teenagers, right? Young, younger, younger people, right? And the example I use is my little cousin. When I look at her, that's what all of her and her friends do. They they stream together. They they play Roblox. They play Minecraft. They she gave me a list of all these different games I've never heard of, right? And then that's when I'm like, oh, wow, I'm I'm a little out of touch with this stuff. And it, it, it's crazy to even think about because, for instance, when we do streaming sometimes, you know, I, I did all these videos. I was watching, learning how to do this, right? I was so proud of myself. I'm like, hey, I figured it out. Hey, this is cool. Like, we're, we're streaming. And I go and chat to my, I think she was 12 at the time. 
And then she's like, oh, I know how to do that. She's like, me and my friends do that on Fridays. She's like, one of us like shares their screen and then we just go from there and we stream it within our group chat. Wow. And I'm like, wow. I'm like, things have changed, right? So I, I think there is a viability because that's where the that's where it's going, right? That, that's what the younger people are, that sounds old to say, but that's what the, the kids are, are watching now, right? But yeah, yeah for I, sure. I, um, like, yeah, I mean, going off of that, I think um, it's interesting to think about and consider how coming out of the pandemic, uh, a lot of our entertainment shifted to an online platform. So for a lot of people who might have been interested in sports before, just live entertainment in general, going onto Twitch, playing video games and kind of bonding over a virtual platform like video games has been where a lot of people have started to now, you know, make friends and be able to have this community of people that they didn't necessarily access before. I mean, like, you know, um, it's probably a bad example, but look at the rise of Among Us, right? People were on Among Us all the time, playing with their friends, connecting with each other. I know a lot of universities used Among Us as a, like, uh, get to know you session where people, like, got to know uh, students and meet people through the game. And a lot of streamers made a lot of money for it for a long time. Like, when it was a, a fad, people were watching these streamers just play Among Us with each other because it just gave you that vibe of being able to hang out with each other. And I'm interested to think about how you can take that, I guess, comfort level of being in your bedroom and streaming and enjoying it, but now apply that to a live sporting aspect where obviously, you know, it's not the exact same. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's pretty, it's interesting to think of, because obviously you're, let's say we're go talk to our parents about it, right? They'd be like, that makes no sense. Like, why are people going to watch others play a game, right? But maybe the same thing could be said from their end where it's, why are people paying money to watch others play sport, right? Yeah. So maybe that's what it is as well. And there is talent in it. For instance, we did a Warzone stream a couple of weeks ago. I suck. And then, you know, AJ, one of the guys that we work with here, he, he was streaming with us. And we, then we had, you know, Malika, a soccer player. They killed me, right? They, they're, so there's a talent differentiation, right? And that's why people are paying because they see value in that, right? They It's entertainment. And that's what essentially sports is, right? So, um to be honest, I, it makes sense, right? Because they're selling, they, they have engaged audiences. You see the, I think even this year, the, what, I think it was the Overwatch Championship, they got more views than the Super Bowl. Wow. So if that doesn't speak volumes, I think that should. And to be honest, now that we, we're speaking about it and we're thinking about it a bit more and just looking at that article, I have another question to ask on this topic before we go to the next one is, do you think they will quickly outgrow that 7,000 seat capacity? See, that is a good question. Cause I think um, like you mentioned, the reason why I think a big reason why the Overwatch um, uh, league had such a large audience com or a larger audience compared to the Super Bowl is because it's become a very international product very quickly. And so obviously 7,000 fans, you're not able to, you're not gonna be able to fly any people from all over the world to attend it. But if there's enough of a market in downtown Toronto, I don't see why not. I think 7,000 is going to be, it's a good investment to kind of start, but I think very soon you're going to see Scotiabank Arena become a venue for this where thousands and thousands of people are going to come and attend it. I mean, if people are going to drive from all over to attend a Travis Scott concert, I don't see why a, a game that millions of people enjoy would not bring that same entertainment and that same competitive energy that other sporting events as well would bring to a jam-packed arena like Scotiabank. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I completely agree with that. And then I know I said there was the last question, but now I have another one to post because of that. So, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, the evolution or the rise of esports, as AJ put in his title for, yeah. for this newsletter this week. So 
we're talking about 7,000 seed and, you know, seeing if people would actually go to it. But I know, like, some of the things have been arising, like those startup football leagues. And I forget if it's what it's called. Is it Fans Unite? The one, like, Johnny Manziel played in and he was maybe part owner where essentially fans basically got to vote on what play they ran, I think, for some of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, no idea. I haven't heard the name Johnny Menzel in a couple of years, but that sounds like an interesting topic. Yeah, so essentially, right, there's probably more in football because hockey and basketball, and to be honest, even soccer, obviously their strategy, but it's yeah. not as set on every single play. Mm-hmm. So with football, right, to kind of engage fans a bit more, what these leagues were doing was, um, you know, you go on an app, right, it's very interactive. Obviously, there's other selling points there, but the fans could essentially vote on, hey, are we going to run? We can run left, right. We can pass, like shotgun, you know, pistol, etc. Where that actually makes people more engaged. And now that I am thinking of this seven thousand seat capacity arena, I think esports would be like the easiest, you know, sport of them all compared to like traditional sport, as we were saying earlier, to actually make it a much more engaged audience, right? Where, you know, um, maybe not. I don't know, but like how esports work. But I know there's certain games that they can definitely be involved in a bit more right yeah i think it's definitely something that we got to look into and like you know just keep an eye on right seeing how these audiences are going to engage like i know people attend like like fortnite is a good example here where travis scott held a concert on fortnite and people would like you'd have to log into the game fortnite bring your character into it and then explore the concert space so people were attending these events that you would attend in person on a virtual platform and i'm wondering if you can apply the same to a game right where like you know if you're doing like a war zone match or something like that this is obviously like way in the future but maybe you create the arena virtually and you have to log into your Warzone account or log into your Fortnite account and to attend it as an audience member. So you can easily surpass that 7,000 capacity where if you have maybe 6,000, 7,000 fans in person, you have people from around the world attending the virtual arena and you have to basically log into your character and be fully engaged and immersed where you're attending this event on a complete virtual space. Obviously, there's a lot to talk there, but if you have some thoughts there, I actually had another question on this topic, but I'd love to hear if you had some background or some yeah. last kind of hop on no, that. I, I didn't know that the thing you're saying about Travis Scott and Fortnite, I didn't know about that. But that, like, when you, you think about it a bit more, because I've spoken to people that work in stadiums, right? And obviously, there's different strategies and you know things that they try to implement to kind of get people to buy more hot dogs, uh, pass by the beer stand a bit more, right? Or even yeah. just make it more interactive so they're spending more dollars rather than just the the seat that they're in but if you think about like you're saying here right for that fortnite concert you actually have to log in go into the game and, and be in there right so they're actually getting them inside the funnel obviously there's you can buy skins and then you'd have to get out of the game and all that but for instance we're talking about like let's say sponsorship or different things like that where i don't know like let's say they make the stage like pepsi right or different things like that where they actually place things within the game i think it'd be very like interactive right where it actually like pulls the audience and the audience is saying, oh, okay, Pepsi or, oh, hey, um, you know, Pirelli tires, right? Just different things like that. But that's just one thought. But what are you going to say here? Yeah. Well, I mean, looking at time here, we have a lot to cover. So I'm going to ask you a question and give you the to give you the final word on whether we should save it for another topic or another podcast. Because I want to okay. talk about branding the e-gamer and actually focusing another on podcast. the personalities themselves. That can be a whole – maybe – so I have some topics here for already like the future episodes, but let me write that down and we'll, I think that we, we, we can even make that like a whole episode. Yeah. There's a lot of connections that I'm kind of drawing right now. And I think like looking at the time, I don't think we have enough now. So I think that's a good call there, but definitely something to stay tuned for. Oh, hundred percent. I completely agree with that. We'll, we'll maybe push that, that episode a bit more when it, once it comes out. 
Um, yeah, so second topic, that's the one that I wrote, and it's in regards to the name change of the Cleveland Indians, or now I should say the, the Guardians, right? So Indians to Guardians and impact of a name, right? So essentially what I was talking about in this article on, on this week's issue is, you know, the impact it may have. Obviously, there's, you know, the political, there's the ethical, there's environmental, like all, all, there's a whole bunch of so many things that are involved, but we're just going to look at it from a sports marketing aspect, Okay. And when I thought of this or read the article that, hey, they're they're changing the name, three things came into mind, okay? I think the first one was, so I, I don't remember the order, but it's merchandise, sponsorship, and PR, okay? And with those, there's a significant impact and almost a trickle-down effect that, that takes into consideration. So um, we can kind of get into that a bit more or if you want to touch on that before I kind of go on my yep. little spree here. Yeah, no, for sure. I think the one thing is interesting how we're looking at it from a sports marketing lens, but I think all the other aspects of it that have been in the headlines over why the chain name change is so important all connect back to sports marketing. So I think you're going to touch okay. on that, which should be interesting. But um, yeah, I guess the only take I would say is if uh, there's a team name that exists out there that doesn't include a certain sector of fans or isn't approved by a certain set of fans for being racist or exclusive and not being inclusive of all fans that not changing it isn't tradition i just think it's lazy so i'm excited mm -hmm. to hear what you have to say about these three pillars and stuff because it seems like there's a lot of innovation there and there's a lot of uh good work being done on the cleveland side of things finally yeah so i agree it's good that they're changing and they're listening um but i do honestly think what really comes down to the end of the day is they're feeling the pressure, right? Because I think a perfect example, I don't know, it wasn't the Indians. I think it was the the Washington football team, formerly Redskins. Before their final season as the Redskins, they said, we will not be changing the name. Right? So they made a hard stand on that. As we know, being, what, two years into the future from that time, they did change their name. And obviously the biggest impact of that, I believe, was, I know it was sponsorships, but I believe specifically it was FedEx. FedEx is a major sponsor of the yeah. of the Washington team. Do they, they name the field, I think, right? They have naming rights to the field, I'm pretty sure. Correct, correct. So that's where, not to be pessimistic, but that's where it actually, you know, stems from. Obviously, you want to think that they're doing, you know, they're listening, et cetera. But in reality, they're doing it because, you know, let's be honest, money talks, right? So that's kind of the angle that I kind of went out at this with these three topics I was mentioning. So the first one, right, is merchandise. When I think of a team changing um, their brand name or their branding and or their name or et cetera, the biggest thing you're like, oh, there's going to be a huge influx of merchandise sales coming in, right? And a perfect example that anyone listening or even you and I can kind of go is, let's say your favorite team, right? They change their jersey or they get a third jersey or they change their logo. How long realistically did it take for you to notice that within the stadium, everyone was wearing a new jersey, the new logo? Yeah, I mean, it probably, I guess the answer is only a couple of seasons, right? I think uh, the yeah. Raptors is probably a good hometown example because I know they changed um, uh, their jerseys recently to kind of have that chevron. And a lot of people are kind of hating it. They're like, oh, wow, it's just like, you know, the letters and stuff and there's not much to it. But um, uh, if you look at Scotiabank Arena or if you look around, there's a lot of people with that jersey that was like, yeah. it was being roasted before, but now it's become almost a staple that you'll see in downtown Toronto. Exactly. And so that's one of the impacts thing that, that comes when they look at changing the name. Is obviously you know the sponsorships put pressure on it, but when it actually goes to merchandise, they're like, hey, you know what? It maybe it wouldn't be that bad of a thing, right? Where, hey, we'd have a whole bunch of jersey, hat, 
sweater, et cetera, sales were like, hey, like that that's probably a benefit to them, right? And we'll have a whole other episode of players changing their numbers because that's a thing that we can talk about with the NFL coming up this season. But then the second thing is sponsorships, right? That's the big one that I think made the change in, in Washington. But um, the biggest part of that, right, is sponsors essentially pay for the budget of these clubs, right? Whether it's the actual product on the field, whether it's obviously like naming rights, media rights, essentially, right? Just looking at the NHL here, that's how they they value, right? They're like, oh, we're, a new media deal is coming up. So the, the cap should go up as well, right? So that's how these sponsors or, or different deals are impacted. And obviously, these brands want to be attached to clubs that represent their values. So looking, let's say using the FedEx example again, if Washington, you know, football team is viewed as racist, why would a huge company like FedEx want to be incorporated or not incorporated, connected to a racist club, right? So that's the impact that it has. And the last thing that I was kind of touching on is obviously there's PR related to it, but a bigger part of that in regards to dollars is, you know, positive sentiment. So obviously let's say when you and I are looking at uh, evaluating sponsorships, let's say the athletes we have, maybe different assets. One thing that goes into consideration is the positive or negative sentiment that a specific post or asset has, right? So when looking at that, obviously there's a dollar value of naming the stadium, et cetera. But if everyone hates the team or they're in bad standing or they're not doing well, you're not necessarily going to charge full value for, for that asset because it has a negative connotation to it, right? So it's kind of removing it from it as well. And then that's where my trickle down effect comes in where it's included in the article where, you know, positive sentiment equals more dollars, more dollars equals improved team, improved team equals larger fan base, larger fan base equals more assets to sell at a higher rate. And then the same thing can be said in reverse if you have a negative sentiment. So those are the kind of the things that I was looking at in regards to the actual name change of the club. What are your thoughts on all that? I I couldn't agree more. Um, like at the end of the day, the consumer has the right to purchase and uh, use their dollars however they want. <laughs> and I think in the same breath that sponsors want to align with a brand that reflects their values, consumers want to do the exact same, which is why sponsors want to do it. So if a name change, especially on the PR front, if this name change is going to not only refresh uh, the baseball team with a, a new brand, a new identity, it it's going to, if it reflects positively amongst consumers, then it seems like a win-win situation for everyone involved, the team, the sponsor, and the consumer. I'm really no. excited to kind of see where, I guess, uh, just with, I guess the... I, the knee-jerk, uh, the knee-jerk reaction that I've seen on Twitter has obviously been kind of polarizing in two different ways. There's a lot of people that are obviously satisfied with it, a long time coming, and then you kind of have like the traditionalists who don't believe that um, uh, the changing of the name of the team was the right way to go about it. But I'm interested to see kind of you know like there's two sides to the coin. Which one kind of stands up? Which which one kind of stands up right when it comes to um, actually spending money on the team? Yeah, it, it's an interesting topic, right? Because Obviously, Indians is, I think, clearly racist, especially with the Chief Wahoo logo they had, right, where that one's pretty evident. And obviously, I don't know how, because obviously, I'm a white male, so I don't necessarily know what's racist to specific different groups. I know maybe the obvious stuff, but the one that I kind of think of in regards to hockey is like the Blackhawks, right? Because obviously, I don't think it's a negative, um, 
like word to like natives or indigenous people, but it represents a, I think a tribe in that area, like in Illinois that were there originally. And maybe if they didn't get approval from it initially, how that kind of goes about, right? So I think that's probably an interesting thing to look at in, in the coming years. Yeah, there's a lot of nuance, I think, with um, uh, the Blackhawks logo, especially because I know that um, uh, if you look at the history, also, it was potentially named after um, uh, a World War II uh, or a World War One unit that was in um, a combat for the United States, some, um, uh, I guess, forces. So mm -hmm. there's definitely something, a lot of interesting things to look in there. And obviously, I think the biggest thing uh, with uh, Cleveland that's going to be important is community engagement not only connecting with the fans to better, I guess, communicate this name change and get everyone on board with the new branding, but also not trying to just erase the past. Um, if uh, the Cleveland uh, Guardians are going to take the steps necessary to work with the Indigenous communities in Cleveland to make sure that, you know, the name change is being reflected on in a positive light because, and explain kind of why the change is being made, working with those communities to make this change happen and understand that branding. I think that's like that next step that brands need to take where the name change is just a name change. It doesn't mean anything until you show the actions that go beyond it. And I think that kind of ties into the PR piece where you mentioned. So obviously there's a lot of work to come there. This is a good step in the right direction. It's just a matter of time to see how kind of all the other building blocks fall into place after this big change has happened. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Right. Where I think sometimes in sports and obviously even like Montreal Canadians, right. They're in hot water now with uh, their draft pick where, it seems sometimes in sports they think, oh, hey, we'll just change the name, or hey, we'll just drop a a pre-constructed, uh, you know, PR note or newsletter or whatever you call it, and then they're like, okay, everything's fine, right? We we said, you know, the, the typical, you know, letter of, oh, hey, we're sorry, put in the buzzwords, and then they, they move on from there, right? So, that, definitely interesting times, and curious where we go, and maybe we'll chat about it in a, in a future episode as well to see the impact that you know the name change actually has had once we actually see it in place. And I think that brings us to the third topic, the one that you wrote. So obviously tonight is the NBA draft. And, you know, the article you touched on is, you know, big dreams and big dollars, the NBA draft. So what do you got for us? Well, it's it's an exciting time. I think we've been, a, as a sports fan in North America, we have been way too uh, privileged to have so many drafts in the last couple of weeks. Between the yeah. Seattle expansion draft and the NHL draft, I think the NBA draft is ready to put on a show. It's uh, it's in Brooklyn tonight. It's going to be in person. Um, I'm not sure if there's going to be fans in the stands or not, but the players are going to be there. They're going to walk on that stage. And beyond the glitz and the glamour of the Eps, the players, the suits, the talent, and all the potential that's coming in with the changing of the franchises, I know for us as Canadians, you know, the Raptors have that fourth overall pick. We're excited to see where it goes, uh, whether it's being traded or whether we're actually going to draft a franchise-altering uh, player to complement our team. But beyond all that, endorsements and kind of looking at the athletes themselves outside of basketball is what I'm really interested in with the draft. Because in the build-up to the draft and the lead-up to the draft, there's been a lot of endorsements. And on paper, it seems like, wow, these athletes are getting such a tremendous opportunity to uh, grow their brand and take advantage of the sponsorship dollars. But there's a lot of questions to be raised about the future uh, sustainability of these deals. Um, if you open up Instagram, for example, the last three posts I've seen from Jalen Suggs, Chipotle, AT&T, and I believe uh, Nike or Adidas, whichever one of his shoe deals is with. So he's already got these brand deals lined up and he's making those posts on the day of the draft. And, you know, you're getting thousands, tens of thousands of likes on those posts. But are these going to be long-term deals? Are these brands going to stick with these athletes and with this talent? Or are they just trying to capture that short-term uh, advantage of 
the spotlight is even placed on these athletes. You look at some of the big names like Cade Cunningham, Jonathan Kuminga, they're landing millions of they're landing brand endorsement deals like in the single digit millions. But Zion Williamson a couple of years ago landed one that was in the double digit millions. Steph Curry is being paid 20 million a year for Under Armour. So it's actually a trend if you look at the numbers that the value of these endorsements is actually going down. If you yeah, so we have Jalen Suggs. So on the which one where, where's the you said the last three? I just want to give more an example, right? So it's visual. Yeah, so okay, that's his suit one. If you go, yeah, just go to the left there. So you'll get Chipotle. The next one will be Adidas. Which Wait, is let's talk about this one for a second here, right? Yeah, sure. Um, my my issue. So obviously, you know, it's a branded post with Chipotle. says sponsored pay partnership. Um, but if you look at this, right, how much effort is really going into this? You know what I mean? Like, he's clearly, they just took a quick photo, probably on an iPhone, right? Because it's just zoomed in here. Didn't really change, and he's just it looks like he just got takeout, right? Where he's in a hotel room. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, and that's I think that's the biggest question, Chris. Do you think like Jalen Suggs might be um a different example or a special example? Because obviously, you know, no idea where he's going with it. But like, for example, a Chipotle deal with the athlete, like like someone who's getting drafted. Let's say if uh, there's someone who's getting drafted in the mid first round or the late first round who has a deal with Chipotle, how long is that deal gonna last? Yeah, like that—that's th the thing that's of interest, right? Where this AT and T one, right? Yeah. So interesting, right? Where the uh, first thing I'll touch on, right? Just look at these metrics. Look at the comments. If you go back to yeah. the last AT and T one, if you look at the comments, they're all about sponsorship dollars and stuff. Well, look, so fifty six, two ninety two, one thirty four, six fifty. But like, look. So this one not sponsored, right? It's about a suit. It's actually like something relevant to him. Like, hey, like you can tell he's probably proud to be to be wearing this suit because it's a big night for him. And look, almost a hundred thousand likes, almost seven hundred comments. Okay, this one, seventeen, big difference, a hundred comments. This one's obviously a bit more. It's probably about half of this one. And then this one, eleven thousand views, and then fifty-six comments. That's that's interesting, right? Where I think. There's a lot to go with here, right? Where is there <clears> – <throat> what is it? Over Is it oversaturated, right? Where these athletes now, they're like, okay, we can make some bucks. But let's go, right? And I think that's the thing that you're asking where is this, like, sustainable? I, I don't think so, to be honest. I think it's hot right now. They're going to be drafted. Obviously, some of them they will carry on, but you're not going to be able to see him have every single post because then – that's where you're, you're seeing this fall off, right? People want to have that authentic connection to these athletes. This is authentic because it's, it's a big night, right? You know the suits. Players put a lot of thought and it actually kind of shows their their personality through it. But what what do we get out of this one? You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I feel the exact same thing. If I think for anyone counting at home, that's four posts in the last 21 hours, right? And you can see the engagement dropping just from four posts. And I think... This is the biggest, one of the biggest nights so far of Jalen Suggs' life. And I think this applies to any athlete. We're singling out Jalen Suggs here, but any athlete who's getting drafted in like that lottery round, this is one of the biggest nights of your life. And if you're kind of, I guess, selling out your, if you're selling your brand to these big organizations and kind of securing these deals, you're capitalizing on that short-term gain that you might have before the long-term, like, it, who knows where your career is going to take you who knows where these deals are going to take you and i think 
um, uh, one of the interesting trends is that a lot of um, uh, brands are not interested in partnering with athletes longer term. They're more interested in capitalizing on these short term gains. Like, you know, if a player is going to be a lottery pick, they'll partner with them for a short term. But there's not as much of a commitment from these big brands onto the long term success of these athletes. And I think that is definitely a dangerous trend for athletes to look out on because the athlete to brand relationship being short being short term is not a w for the athlete oh and i completely agree with all of that right where look in, in regards it, it's it's an interesting predicament right because what we talk about is you know in our meetings yes they're gonna make a quick buck right and that, that's hey you're gonna get paid that that's awesome but like you said they're almost just chewing them up and then spitting them out because they know they're gonna get a bunch of engagement tonight right but where does that go from there to be honest, obviously it'd be hard to be put in their shoes, right? It's, it's an interesting time that they're young guys, obviously they have advisors and so on. But maybe I'll ask this to you. If you were in their position, right, and you had the option to have three deals, and I'm sure it's going to be a significant amount of money, or you could have one strategic partner where maybe it's a longer term deal, maybe you can get shares in the company and they're paying you maybe a lower amount to initially, but obviously it's a partnership where it's actually something that you you use, right? Chipotle, Chipotle, like they, they get every influencer to do something. Adidas as well. Like what if it's actually something that he uses, right? So let's go let's go through this a bit. What's so it's all basketball. That's another issue that I have. Is when they just post like their sport, right? Like, are you telling me you're just a basketball player? Right? And that's the issue that I have sometimes with branding where Obviously, athletes are more than an athlete, but then sometimes they paint themselves as just that, right? So, yeah, I know, and it's a very good question. I mean, if I was in their shoes, um, I'll be honest, uh, there's definitely multiple ways to look at it. I am not a great athlete, clearly. I'm on the screen here, and I'm not at the NBA draft. Hey, I, I think I'm a decent athlete, but hey, we're all just taking shots today. <laughs> No, I mean, I'm not I'm not talking about Chris here. I'm just talking about myself here. I'm here, I'm, I'm idolizing Jalen Suggs here, so I can't even begin to even fathom what it would be like to be in this position but if you're an athlete like it's just if you give that advice to an athlete you know their timeline isn't long nothing is guaranteed right you know a small injury here or there you know this bad relationship here or there could completely um impact your long-term career of being an athlete obviously for these guys it's the dream is just to be able to play the sport you love but what we've noticed is that it doesn't take much for the athlete to secure a longer term uh win for their brand a couple of lifestyle posts here and there, just being able to connect with the fans beyond your sport because the fans that are watching your game are not in your shoes. They're not going to be NBA players. They're not going to be professional athletes. They want to get to know the star. They want to get to know the person beyond just cheering them on on the sidelines. It's easier to cheer for a player that's you know in the community doing the work there and someone you can relate to. So I think for these athletes, if the advice there was, you know, secure some brand partnerships that will be long-term, like an endorsement deal with uh, a shoe company. Like Adidas, I think is one of the biggest wins for all these athletes, which is why we kind of see the shoe deals being the first ones they sign. The Nikes, the Under Armors, the Pumas, uh, the New Balances, for example. Those ones are seem to have a lot more sustainability to them because the athlete will wear them on the court. But like with Chipotle, I unless Jalen Suggs is walking with a Chipotle bag into like you know every NBA court before his game and gets featured on there with posts and stuff, and unless he was a big Chipotle fan from day one, I as a fan or I as an athlete don't necessarily see as much of a value there in partnering with Chipotle for a one-time post. I mean, unless Chipotle is playing millions of dollars there, it's hard to pass up on that. 
But I think here at White Whale, we're always prioritizing, you know, the athlete's long-term brand. We're prioritizing the athlete beyond the game. And I think at the end of the day, that just makes more sense. So here's the hoping that, you know, the players are getting the right advice. And maybe this is a better conversation to have for athletes getting drafted in the later rounds, where obviously not Chipotle is not coming up to them for a one-time post. How can those athletes position themselves better to secure longer-term deals, you know? Yeah, no, that's, to be honest, that's an interesting topic on its own, right? Where... Yeah, like I like I bet you tonight when we're gonna be watching the NBA draft, there are gonna be moments where you're gonna see some type of sponsored act, I guess you can say, right? Where maybe they're gonna, fl- I could see someone flashing the jacket and you're gonna see the Subway logo, like that. I, I could see that happening, right? Or hey, maybe maybe Jalen Suggs is gonna walk on the stage with a with a bag of Chipotle, right? And I, I kind of get that that type of activation, but no, I think it's definitely an interesting topic where. Obviously, NBA draft, I think, is a little different because there's two rounds where NHL, usually, I think, what, after the second round, the percentage of you actually making the league is very small. And then the NFL is like almost like a crapshoot where seventh rounders end up starting on the D-line and then the first rounders never even play. So it, it, it's very odd, but I don't know. I think if I'm just – because I've been looking at this while, you know, you're mentioning some stuff here, and I'm going through past – post and seeing what's done well and there's one that he's done where it's like him and his girlfriend almost two hundred thousand dollars two hundred thousand likes right and that's what's clear here when it's just him kind of opening up what we're saying like showing up behind the scenes that's when you actually get all the likes but there's one here of him smiling two hundred and twenty six thousand right where you can tell that's where it actually starts going a long way and personally let's say Let's say Jalen, for example, he's into to fashion. It seems like a lot of those NBA guys are. And the NBA, you know, their photographers are always doing like those walk-up photo shoots. Wouldn't you rather maybe like partner with a fashion brand that you actually would are paying for, that you're actually interested in, and you're going to be wearing them for 82 games a season? So there's actually going to be value where you're constantly going to be wearing it. It's almost like you're I, – I almost call it the modern-day runway is how I put it in meetings, right, where – I think that's going to be much more value than him actually going, hey, like Chipotle or hey, AT&T. Because in reality, I'm not buying a phone. Obviously, we're in Canada, but I, I wouldn't be buying a phone just because an athlete signed with them. Obviously, there yeah. is an impact there, but there has to be something much more than just, hey, I'm working with AT&T, so, so should you. And I think Jalen Suggs is a good example there because um, on his run to um, a title with um, uh, in the NCAA, he hit that game winner and the only thing i remember from that entire tournament nothing jalen suggs is a flat-out baller and i think the, uh, we're picking on jalen suggs here maybe it's a good omen maybe it's a foreshadowing here i hope the raptors keep that pick and take him because man is he a great basketball player but when he hit that game-winning buzzer beater and he stood up onto the uh, i think the scorers table and just flexed that's the image i remember that is what I remember about Jalen Suggs. And, you know, if he gets drafted and then maybe like right uh, after he gets drafted or something like that, there's a story or an Instagram post of like, you know, a cool montage of his college career or something like that, or just uh, something cool where it's like he's getting drafted and maybe he like, you know, steps out and introduces like a watch sponsorship or something like that. That's something I'm going to remember a bit more than all these little posts that lead up to the draft. So having a plan always will have more impact than kind of just taking whatever's available. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, like, that, that moment that you're talking about, too, I think that's, like, the, those times that actually showcase two fans their personality, right? Where, hey, like, 
that that shows, you know, Jalen's competitive. He wants to win. Whereas, you know, some guys get a little quieter, go off to the side, or even, you know, in, in different sports when the pressure's on and they forget about everything, that's when you actually see, and that's when you start, like, falling in love with these different athletes, right? Just falling in love with them on the field. And then what they do off the field is what actually can, can like, expand your interest in them and actually follow them beyond. And the example that I use, and he has, like, a – he's done very well sports marketing-wise. He's now retired Julian Edelman. Former receiver for the Pats. Loved this play because he was just a gritty, smaller guy that just put in the work and was just he was nuts. Like he would just do whatever he had to win. And then off the field, he was very personable, you know, always doing like funny content, funny guy. And it seems like one of those guys that you'd, you'd love to get a beer with. And that's why I think this, you know, late round draft pick, obviously his work ethic had an effect in it. But that's why you saw him at the end of his career working with companies like Macage and different things like that and doing like these collaborations on like fashion or skateboarding or different things like that, where it's actual like value that you, it's not foreign to see that on their feed. And that's the biggest thing that I always try to make when it's in meetings with, you know, companies or with athletes, you never want to see something that almost looks foreign, right? Cause yeah, we, we don't need to think on the Jalen posts anymore, no, but it's all good. I mean, the beauty yeah. of the NBA draft is that this podcast is airing before the draft and the newsletter is coming out after the draft. So if you check out the insights in the newsletter, you'll see some, um, uh, I guess, updates on some of the endorsement deals that we'll see. I'm going to be watching the uh, draft, taking some notes. So, you know, if you're subscribed to the newsletter, if you haven't done so already, you'll kind of get maybe a live reaction as well as some, uh, I guess, really quick uh fresh updates on how these endorsement deals worked out for these athletes all throughout the draft. Yeah, no, for sure. Maybe we can touch on, you know, add under your article here of, Hey, things that stood out and maybe in regards to the sports marketing or endorsements really, Hey, did you see that? Or Hey, look into this. So yeah, no, I think that's great. I think that about basically caps off episode two, unless there's anything else you want to get into. All I'm saying is if for some reason, Bobby Webster and Messiah G are looking at this and you're thinking of taking Jalen Suggs, I love Scotty Barnes, but I think, you know, based on what we looked at with Jalen Suggs, I think we picked on a bit too much. If this is your sign to go out and get a dynamic scorer like him, go for it. <laughs> but what a way to end it. I think we just go from there. All right. Uh, thanks for watching, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.